He threw both Carl and myself under the bus this morning. <laughs> You've heard me say this now three times before, but this Sunday, I mean it. This will be Brandon's last Sunday with us. <laughs> All right, never insult a person who has the microphone last. All right, anyway. Well, this morning we want to continue our series. We just began it last Lord's Day as we look at the best sermon ever. And the reason it's the best sermon ever is not because I'm preaching it, because it has already been preached and we're looking back at it. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ preached this sermon uh, and it's the, it's the longest recorded message in the New Testament that Jesus gave uh, to the people. And as you think about that, I'm sure as Jesus preached, one thing probably we can say uh, with conviction, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but probably every time Jesus preached, he didn't have to worry about people falling asleep. Uh, that he was so captivating, not only what he said, but how he said it. He, he kept everyone's attention, and they were hanging on every word. Now, that's not necessarily true about preachers since then. And even, uh, even in the first century, that was not true of a great preacher. We know that the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, he was preaching a sermon, and he went a little long, might have got a little hot in the evening, and there was a young man that actually fell asleep and fell out of an upstory, up. Uh, a high storage uh, window and fell to the ground to his death. Uh, now, God gave him the power to resurrection from the dead, but hopefully no one will die as I'm preaching here this morning. But I, what, I did read a, a note this past uh, week from someone who, who talked about the experience of people sometimes maybe uh, closing their eyes and looking like they're praying, but actually they're just about ready to start snoring. And, and, um, and this is what one lady responded back to uh, the pastor. I hope you didn't take it personally, pastor, an embarrassed woman said after a church service, when my husband walked out during your sermon. I did find it rather disconcerting, the preacher replied. Well, it's not a reflection on you, sir, insisted the church uh, goer. Ralph has been walking into sleep ever since he was a child. <laughs> so whether you're dozing in the, in the chair this morning or whether you walk out uh, just because you're walking to sleep, hopefully Hopefully, you look at this sermon not because of who's communicating this morning, but you recognize we're looking at the words of Jesus. And Jesus shared these truths to a crowd of people that desperately needed to hear the truth. And really, that's the same situation that we're in today, that we really need to hear a word from God. And often we need to hear that word over and over and over again, even if we've heard it before or read it before. And this best sermon ever, Jesus is really speaking to the lives of people. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5, many of the passages are in your outline this morning, but we're, we're going to be looking at what Jesus had to say, and primarily this morning, it's really in his introduction. He's trying to grab their hearts to make sure they understand everything he's going to say after this is so crucial for them to understand what it means to live life to its fullest. We know later on that Jesus talked about giving life, life that would last forever, we call that eternal life. Uh, but he also talked about having life in terms of its quality, not only its quantity, that it would be life that was abundant, full, and meaningful. And, and he wanted them to understand that this was God's plan for their life. Uh, th there are some needs that we have in our own life, the things that, that cause us not to be in that place where we can experience the life that God wants to offer. And that's what the Bible calls sin. But we recognize that, that God came and sent his son to deal with the issue of sin that separates us from him. And so as we look at this sermon, we see Jesus calling them to understand that God wants to bless them. He wants them to be blessed said. It doesn't really matter how you pronounce that word. And really when he, when he called that out, he wanted them to understand that they could experience life to its fullest. The word blessed really just means happy. 
uh, we would probably call more in uh, biblical language that it's joyful. It's that inner contentment, that, that sense of life being lived as it was intended to li- be lived. And that's what God wants to give those who are connected to him. You could also call it, it simply means that do you want to be favored of God? That to understand that, that as you look at all the people that, were, that are populating this planet, some people are favored by God and some are not. And how do you get in on it? Do you not somehow qualify because you're not special enough? Or, or does God want to offer up his blessedness to you? So he has some statements, actually eight statements that describe what it means to be blessed or in favor with God. And we looked at the first one last Lord's Day. And you could also call it the first step to being blessed. The first step is to see your need. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, we have Jesus saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you were here with us last week, a very simple message I wanted to have us linger thinking about throughout the days from last Sunday to this Sunday is, is look at your life and do you really see yourself as a person who is in need? Do you see yourself as lacking in, in somehow communicating with God that, that God has to do something or you're on the outside looking in? And the truth is, is all of us are born into this world that way, that, that we are lacking, that we are spiritually poor, that we are deprived of, of connection with God. And until we see our need, God can't meet that need because we don't think we have a need. And so as we understand the first step toward God and that step that needs to be conti- uh, taken every single day, we need to begin our experience each, each moment to recognize, God, I, I need you to touch my life. I, I need you to do that which I can't do on my own. I, I need for you to transform me on the inside. I need for you to give me life. But as you look at these Beatitudes they are given in such a way where we're, we're given what should be true about our life. We ought to be poor in spirit. But then he gives a promise. Well, what's the, what's the benny? What's the benefit? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and this first one, and we didn't really talk about it a whole lot, it says, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are probably a lot of things on our want list, and we just finished a season in which... Uh, we have a gift-giving season, and probably none of us put on that list. What would you like from, you know, uh, Santa, if you still have that tradition with your kids, or, or uh, for your parents or your friends, uh, what, what would you like for Christmas? Uh, I dare say none of us probably put the kingdom of heaven. And it doesn't because we weren't spiritual enough. I mean, we just don't think in those terms. But this, among all the presents God could give us, would be the most crucial one to receive. And that would be in, in, to be invited to be in the sphere of living life in which he is under control. Uh, let me just say some things very briefly, and then we're going to look at the, the main guts of the message this morning. What is the kingdom of God? If you look at it very simply, kingdom speaks about a realm and speaks about a rule. And really the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God. You're, and in one of the prayers that are found in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus prays this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes when things are going great, man, this, this is like being in heaven. I mean, people are loving one another and caring for each other. Things are going right. Man, they, it can't get any better than this. And that's what Jesus was saying. You want to have that kind of experience? In some ways now, but even more so later, 
And really that's why I entitled the message, Blessed Now and More Later. And no matter how good it is for you right now, hopefully you understand it's going to get better. It's going to get a lot better. If you have experienced receiving the gift of the kingdom of heaven, because that speaks about the rule of God in our life. And the rule of God operates perfectly in that place called heaven. And God wants that to come here on earth as well. Well, it does beg a question, well, when is this kingdom of heaven to happen? Uh, Jesus said this, from that time, uh, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which gave the impression that it was right there. And in one sense, it was true. The kingdom of heaven is at hand now if the rule of heaven or the ruler of heaven is ruling and reigning in your own life. And so you get a partial experience of of having heaven here on earth because God can control your life and govern your life and lead your life. And you can experience, at least in partial ways, what, what he has planned for you in the future. But the kingdom of heaven is not only now, but it's also, but not yet. And it's interesting, sometimes we get too satisfied with this life. It's interesting, sometimes in worship settings, whether it's in a traditional setting or whether it's in a contemporary setting, people are talking more about the now, but not the, the future. And when things are going poorly, when things are uh, in, in times where you're in great tor- turmoil, th- then you want to look ahead for what's coming. And we need to recognize, no matter how life is going now, it's going to get much, much better later. And we know that was true in terms of Jesus' perspective. Look at Luke 19, 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem because they thought the king of God would appear immediately. And the answer, of course, it wasn't. It wasn't going to appear immediately because the fullness of God's rule is not here on earth. Have you not noticed that? <laughs> uh, in case I don't throw this in later on, in evangelical churches, churches that believe the Bible and, and try to follow after God's plan, uh, they will call this Sunday the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Because we live in a nation in which between 1 and 1.5 million babies are aborted every year. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think the rule of God is operating perfectly here now on earth. Because every life matters to God. And this is not a condemnation for those who have gone in it, but it's just to say we as a people need to understand that, that God's rule that is perfect in heaven needs to come here on earth, and it's going to happen when he comes again. And so as we seek to allow God to reign in our life now, we need to recognize that, that it won't happen perfectly in our world today. It doesn't matter who gets elected I think we ought to be responsible citizens and vote responsibly, but look, our, our hope is not in someone riding an elephant or a donkey, all right? Acts chapter 1, verse 6, uh, you had the, the disciples, after they'd just been taught for 40 days from the, the master teacher about the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, and I, I don't see any difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in terms of what they mean. It's the same, it's the same thing said in two different ways. And he says, it's not about, you know, when it's going to happen. Your, your, your business is to get as many people into it as you can. Well, how does it work? Real quickly, present operation. Uh, the spiritual transformation. God is changing people spiritually that are connected to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly or truly, truly, very, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Our challenge today is not to bring utopia here on earth, but it's to bring utopia in people's hearts and lives, to see that they need to be spiritually born again on the inside. That's the message of hope. There are spiritual transformations, but there's going to be a future physical transformation. Looking back at Christmas, just to look at a passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And Jesus came that first time, and they were looking for someone who would bring justice throughout the land. And he said, I'm speaking to the heart first. And when he comes again, then full justice will be here on earth. We ought to be involved in justice issues. We ought to bring hope to people here on this earth. But it will not fully come to pass until he comes again. And that's why the kingdom of heaven is both now but not yet. Spiritual transformation now, but in the future there'll be a physical transformation. So that's the benefit of the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and in the future, the rule and reign of the king in their life. But we see Jesus going on describing what it means to be part of his plan. And I put it this way, who gets in on it? And then in your outline this morning, I put two words, positionally and progressively. And I'm going to be a little theological with you to begin, and then we're just going to look at these great statements of Jesus. There are two ways to look at this passage, and I really think both are true. As you look at what Jesus is saying here, he's speaking to a crowd of people. By and large, the majority of them feel that they are the ones that God could not love. And I have said this before, there are really two types of people as we begin analyzing the struggle to connect with God. Some people, uh, right at the very beginning, it's kind of the poor and spiritual. They, they don't come to God because they don't feel a need for God. You know, my, my, life's, my life's okay. It's not, it's not that bad. I look at a lot of people. Even people go to church, and my life's better than theirs. And I seem to handle the, the struggles and pains of life as well, if not better than how they're doing. I, I don't see that big a need. Okay, the sin issue, the things that, 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 are, that break the heart of God and and harm other people, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I mean, no one's perfect, but I'm a lot better than a lot of people. And, and so they, they, they don't see the need for someone to forgive them their sin because the sin is not that big to them. And, and it's not, that, not that they're more proud than anybody else, they just don't see their need. They, they don't see desperately that their heart is, as the Bible describes, wicked, and who could know it? And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar really high for people to see what is sin in God's eyes. Boy, and you look at that, you go, okay, I get it. Okay, if you're open. Some people don't come to God because they don't see their need. Their sin is not that big a deal. But actually, the majority of people probably, as some look at this passage, as they were struggling, their issue is, I'm so much a sinner. How, how 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 could God ever want to know me uh, it's not that i'm I, I you know i'm struggling am i good enough i just realized i'm so bad there's no hope why would god forgive me and and they felt they didn't qualify 
And then as they step back and try to be objective, well, I know I'm not favored by God because look how poor I am. <laughs> you know, and all those things that we're going to be looking at. And they're saying, how could, a, how could a person be favored by God who's in this kind of condition? So Jesus speaks to them and says, you can be a person favored by God by the promises of God, and this is what you can experience positionally, and that's what theologians usually say. This can be your status with God, not based on your own merit, but His merit and what He wants to give you. This is who you can be no matter what you do. But there's an aspect also progressively in that as we take on, as some call these, the Beatitudes, the be attitude, have these attitudes, have these lifestyle pursuits in our life, then we'll experience the life of God in a fuller way. All of us can be equally favored by God. But we do recognize that some people, they just seem to be more in touch with God. I mean, they've made the step of knowing it, but man, their, their, their walk with God is so much more intimate. There's something more that, that they have that you long for. And, and somehow you think, well, maybe, you know, I guess God, you know, uh, as he's dealing out the cards, you know, that they got better cards than I got. And so, you know, they just, those kind of people that have a better relation with God, I don't. And, and Jesus said, no, no. If this progressively becomes true of who you are, every one of you can have a deep, intimate, rich relationship with Jesus. But these things need to be true in your life. So positionally, you get it. We all get the same. We all get those promises that are attached to these beatitude statements, and it's, it's just a demonstration that we don't, any of it, no, one, no one of us deserves it, but God gives it. That's the position. But progressively, if this becomes true of our life, our walk with God, our relation with God gets deeper. Well, let's look at it. Number one, we've all reviewed it, but just to state it again. He says, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And really, the person who grows deeper than relationship with God is a person who constantly reminds themselves of their need, that they are lacking. They have to be dependent upon Him. If I don't think I need to be dependent upon the Lord, then I don't seek His strength in my life. I don't seek His direction. This is a person who recognizing that, that they are deprived spiritually and only Jesus can meet that need. It's that idea in Romans 7, 18, the Apostle Paul who had his act pretty much together even before he became a Christian, at least morally and ethically. He said, there dwells no good thing in my life. I desperately need the forgiving, leading hand of God in my life. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Seeing your need, seeing that you are lacking, seeing the, the utter responsibility of your life to depend upon Him. Let's move on. As Jesus made that first statement, He went on verse 4 and said, Blessed now are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, what's interesting about all these, and I want to make it just a general statement, is that what's amazing about what Jesus would say, in so many of his teachings, he would say something that people say, ah, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right. The, those things don't fit together. I mean, if I want to be filled with comfort today, then what I'm supposed to be doing is weeping and crying and being sad. How about, 
How about when I'm, normally I'm pretty comfortable when I'm laughing. Did you feel, it, I mean, Brandon's got, don't tell him this, he's got a great sense of humor, doesn't he? I mean, isn't it fun to laugh with him? I prefer to laugh at him, but, you know, laugh with him. I mean, it just kind of lifts your spirit, okay? You think, man, I'm feeling good now. Well, how about if he came up here and every time he, he just tried to make you sad? He said, let's get somebody else getting the announcements, right? <laughs> well, it's kind of what he's saying. He's, Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Well, what are you saying here? Well, the word mourn, and actually it's a very intense word. There are a variety of words in the New Testament that say the same thing and some have a, have a stronger intensity to them. And this, the one here for mourning is used in a, in a way in which there's deep grief and grief sadness over something. Maybe it was even used in John chapter 11 when, when Lazarus died and they were weeping over his death. We're, we're talking about grieving here. But what is he saying? Is he, is he grieving because you, you didn't win the lottery this week or your favorite team, team didn't win uh, the championship or uh, whatever it might be, something you were hoping for didn't come in? No, he said, I, I want you to understand those who are really favored in the kingdom of God are mourning over that which is so much more important and that's mourning over their sin. Uh, mourning over the things that break the heart of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2, it, it, we hear these words from the, the prophet. And, and as he says these, tells these words, it again kind of speaks the same thing that Jesus said. He goes, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is, in, is ended, that her iniquity is, is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all, for all her sins. See, here, here was a, 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 a people that became blessed because they recognized how sinful they were. And so as we, as we go through life, it, it's that oxymoron. We, we, we can recognize that we are forgiven from the penalty of sin. But throughout our lives, we're humbled by the point that it was our sin that brought Jesus to the cross. And if I want God to make changes in my life, then I, then I recognize those things that break his heart are the things that ought to break my heart. That, that we weep over that which is most important. And not only do we mourn for our own sin, but we might even mourn for the sins of our nation. I mean, 1 to 1.5 million babies are aborted every year. What does that say about us as a people? Do we really believe in the value of life? And that breaks our hearts. And, and, and it's interesting what Jesus is saying here. If we mourn over that which is important to him, then God will lift us up. He will bring us comfort in the midst of, of the pain that we experience over that which is most important. And that is doubly true for those who have gone through abortion. Is that, that God can give you peace. But he's not going to give you peace if you somehow you, you, you change the price tags, that it wasn't wrong. But he gives you peace when you recognize it wrong and there is no unforgiving sin before God other than rejection of him. So as Jesus speaks into their lives, he's speaking right to their hearts. Do you see your need? Are you saddened and grieving over sin? in your life and in the world and want to do whatever you can to do something about it. And when you will do that, you will be comforted. Remember earlier when I said 
that the kingdom is both now but not yet. It's experienced to a certain degree now, but in the future it'll be much, much more. Remember what in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it, it talks about that when we get to heaven, that every tear will be wiped away. And so anything that brings us sadness now will be taken care of when the king is on the throne. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who mourn. And then he goes on, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again, this is somewhat of an oxymoron. The people who really get, get ahead in this world, the people who are much are bold and loud and controlling and, and take charge and, and just want everybody to look at them. But he says, that's not how it is in, in my kingdom. And the ones who really are going to be blessed by me and are blessed by me are those who are meek. Now, in many ways, this was an affront to, to any, particularly any Roman who might have been on the outskirts hearing this. What are you talking about being meek and you're going to take charge of this earth? The reason we are in power is because we have not been meek. But they were so much in fear of losing what they had constantly. They lived in the light of that. Uh, meek might rhyme with weak, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, is a person who is always under control. In many of your translations, you might even have this, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, th this is a person who doesn't have to somehow intimidate people by his presence or her presence and how they do what they do. It might not change their actions, but it will change how they do their actions. Brandon and I get along really well, and part of there's parts of our personality that are fairly similar, you know. And and, and there are times sometimes we'll look at our lives and go, you know, man, I might have, I might have gone a little bit too far, you know, kidding people or pushing people like that. And so, you know, we'll have a statement that uh, some of the people on the vacation with me kind of got used to. I didn't quite apply it too much, but I talk about, you know, I didn't need to be kinder and gentler, you know. And, and that what we were expressing is that sometimes when you're around people, you know, you can just you just pushing too hard or too far, or just be a little bit abrasive or harsh. And he said, that's not, that's, not, that's not what God wants when we're abrasive and harsh. I mean, we're having fun or just joking with people. I think that there's nothing wrong with it, but there's a line we cross when, when we are laughing at someone else's expense. I mean, again, it's all right to laugh with people and even laugh at people, but, but when is it at their expense? It's interesting, in the Old Testament, the example probably measured up for a person being a person who was in power but under control and who could be a, a leader that was strong but gentle was Moses. In Numbers 12.3, it talks that he was the meekest man in the world. And, and you think, how could that be? I mean, he had to lead these stubborn people through the, you know, the wilderness and they were always fighting with him and he had to be really strong with him many, many times. But it's described to Moses that he was a man under God's control. And, and in case I don't say this later on, it, it, what I want you to do this week, what I want myself to do this week, is, is you think of these qualities. And you probably can't pick out all eight to think about throughout the week, but pick out a couple of them. Say, which of these need to be more true in my life now than, than they have been?
Can I describe myself as a person who's under control, under God's control? And I'm a little bit more kinder and gentler, not as abrasive and harsh with people. Doesn't mean you don't lead. Moses had to lead a stubborn people. He had to even confront sin and rebellion against God. He had, he had to deal with issues all the time. It wasn't that he gave up the responsibility of being a leader, but he was gentle. And really, again, all these qualities are seen most powerfully in Jesus. I mean, Jesus could, could turn over the tables in the, in the temple because the people were desecrating the, the place of worship, and he was strong and powerful, and, and then he could have children come to him and, and long to be embraced by someone who was meek and under control. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, uh, one analogy. There are people who are under, uh, in positions of power in our culture that have to be very careful how they exercise that power. And part of that is, is the, those who are, are policemen. You ever been pulled over? Now, uh, I have to watch my time here. You, you can be pulled over by a person who's somewhat of a, um, I guess it's all right to say in church, kind of like a jerk, you know, when they come, <laughs> come around, you think. But you can, have, you can be pulled over by someone, and, you know, they've got the power. They don't have to be a jerk. They carry a big stick and a big gun, you know. They, got, they, they have the authority behind them. They can simply be calm and deal with the, your infraction and just, you know, put you in your place without being abrasive. That's what he's talking about here. A, a person who is in power and control uh, without being harsh and abrasive. Those are the ones that follow after the king who is to rule in our kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And most of these, even as I share with you what they mean, I, we, can, we can kind of figure them out ourselves. You know, what is it when you hunger and thirst for something? It's something you long for and desire. It's something that you, that you recognize, I need this and I need this now and I want all that I need to, to satisfy what's lacking at the moment. You know, we have in the Declaration of Independence that uh, people have an inalienable right to, for the pursuit of happiness, right? The issue is, how do you pursue it? Uh, Jesus is, is getting a countercultural challenge for the, his hearers then and now. If we want to pursue happiness, if we want to be, as he said, hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled or satisfied. Then hunger for that which is right. Remember in John chapter 4, uh, he said to the woman at the well, you know, if you'll, if you'll drink my water, you'll never, what, thirst again. But she had to want his water. She could kept pulling from the, the, the water of that well, seeing that would just meet her needs forever, or seeing you know, that there's something more that needs to be satisfied, and that's what's on my inside. She had to want what he could give. And, and that's what God is asking for us, that we might desire that which is so necessary in our lives. There's a lot of practical points we could put to that. If we really want to know that which is right, then we've got we to gotta expose ourselves to that which is right. And there's nothing more right than what's in God's Word. That we are to hunger for God. We are to hunger for His truth. We are to hunger for His guidance. First Peter says that we ought to long for the pure milk of the Word like a baby longs for the pure milk that feeds 
their life. It's interesting, some people talk about these beatitudes. They say the four primarily are inward, and then, then, uh, then all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, I, I want this to leak out on the outside. You know, poor in spirit, you know, you can probably take my temperature, it doesn't really change you know, if I'm being poor in spirit. It's something that's on the inside. If I'm mourning over my sin, it won't necessarily show on my face. I mean, it could be the tears, but it could be just a deep longing of, uh, that my sin might be dealt with. The idea of being uh, meek has the idea, of, first of all, coming from the inside out, that, I got, that God is in control of my life, not myself. Hungering and thirsting is pursuing after that which is right. But then he goes on, here, here are some things that, that should be shown on the outside. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is mercy? Uh, mercy is simply not giving somebody what they deserve. You know, grace is, is getting what you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Now, there are always consequences for actions. He's not talking about that there should be no consequences for people's actions, but, but are you, when you, when, when, consequences are meted out. Maybe you're even in that position where you have that role. Is it done in a condemning way or in a way where you're trying to rescue? See, are, are we a merciful people? Or do we delight in people hurting? Do we delight in people getting uh, the consequences of their actions or, or, or does it break our heart? Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You ever had a relationship where, where you, you thought you kind of gave some people some space and, and, you, and you, you uh, didn't attack them for something they did and then all of a sudden you did something a little bit later and they just went all whatever out on you? <laughs> hey, uh, don't you remember when I, I, I was a little patient with you and I was caring for you and, and now you messed up and they, man, they have no patience with you at all. And part of that's going to happen. If we are merciful people, even on this experience of life, then we're probably more prone to receive mercy. But again, as we look at all of this, this comes most with Jesus. Jesus could have hammered out the consequences for people's actions, and yet often he would take the pain of others and the consequences of others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's, there's many passages we looked at, we don't have time to do it this morning. But blessed are the pure in heart. This is, this is interesting. It, it, it looks internal, but really what he's speaking to, particularly the group of people that were listening to him that day, who were so, particularly the Pharisees, the religious folk of that day, they thought they were righteous before God because it looked good on the outside. They said, who are you fooling? If it doesn't come from within. There's no righteousness there. You know, it's interesting. They, they thought they were so righteous that they, they dedicated everything they had to God. At least they thought they did. And then sometimes when their own family was in need, well, so I'm sorry, I can't help you out because Korban, I have already dedicated to God and I can't help you. Well, the, that, was, that was righteous on the inside but wasn't righteous on the outside because they, they reserved all that they had just for themselves. When we are pure in heart, it will leak out. And people will see it in our life. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. And this just describes people who are, are, are looking not to pour you know, gas on the fire, but water on the fire. 
This is the people, if you want to put it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or who are reconcilers. When, when people are at odds, they're saying, how, how can we people get people in agreement? Now, this doesn't mean, again, that we, we don't recognize that which is um, in opposition to truth. It doesn't mean that we don't recognize that which is wrong, but we try to find agreement, at least in that which is right. There's an interesting passage you might want to look at this week in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. It says, don't pay back evil for evil. Um, you know, do that which is good to those around you. And then it says, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Which simply says, don't you be the person that, that makes things worse. Be the person that, that will do whatever you can to make it better. Now, you can't be at peace with all, all people because some people don't want peace. But be that kind of person. And the best way to bring peace into someone's life is to, is to invite them to understand who the Prince of Peace is. Allow them to have peace in their heart. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And obviously the point there, if you are really following after the king, then people see it in your life and that you will get abuse. If standing for God, living for God, you don't get any pushback, then you're hiding your light under a bushel. That There ought to be some times when people won't invite you to certain things because they know who you are. And, and, and there will be some times where people will react against you because they always think that you're trying to tell them what to do. Uh, there will be people who, who, who will not like it when you're around because you know, you're not into hypocrisy, you're not into lying, you're not into dishonesty, that you value life, that you will speak up when things need to be spoken about. In 1 Timothy, talk, in Timothy talks about that, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, we live in a, in a country where it's probably not going to cost us our life, but it might cost us our job. It might cost us certain friends. It might cost us certain things in terms of a lifestyle. And we'll hear the verbal abuse. And if we, if we live for God, it's going to show. So what's the point this morning? Jesus wanted to call people to a position of being favored by God. And that favor of God means that they could be in a a relationship with him in which there would be joy that was not dependent upon circumstances. And, and this could be their position. They felt they couldn't deserve If they felt they didn't deserve it, then they were in the right place because it was going to be a gift. But he wanted them to also understand that this is a progressive relationship with God. If, if we're moving forward, then we recognize over and over again that we need to be people who are poor in spirit, who see our need that we are lacking that we are people who mourn over our sin. We're saddened by that which separates us from Him. That we're meek. They want to be under His control, not our own control. We want to be kinder and gentler. That we do hunger and thirst for that which is most important, that which God can give, His truth. That we are merciful. That we don't give to people always what they deserve, but we, we cut them some slack that we're pure in heart, that we want it to come from the inside out, that we are peacemakers, 
We're bringing people to the Prince of Peace and we're, we're, we're trying to bring people into agreement. And that we are willing for our life to stand publicly, which sometimes will get a reaction. The good news is that God has called us to be blessed, to be in His favor. And everyone can experience that who will respond to Him. Let's pray. So I pray this morning that if there be anyone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, that they, they simply embrace you to say, Jesus, I want you to rule and reign in my heart and life, and will you do it now? And for, Father, as we know you, might we also desire that that relationship goes deeper and deeper. Help us to be transparent before you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have never made that commitment to Christ, we invite you, before you leave this place, to talk with someone and help have them explain very clearly how you can make that step by just opening up your heart, praying a prayer unto Him, asking Him to come in and rule and reign. And if you do know Him, discover what things this week need to be lived out in your life.